0: Hey there, and welcome to episode 22 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. Once again, as usual, this is your host, Greg Lindberg. On this episode of the podcast, we are chatting with Scott Leeson. And Scott is a multiple-time U.S. blind surfing champion. Uh, Has also competed in many water skiing events, uh, wakeboarding, in addition to some winter sports events, tandem cycling as well. And uh, definitely wanted to mention that Scott is a U.S. Navy veteran. Scott, welcome to the podcast.
1: No problem. It's my pleasure.
0: All right. So, Scott, uh, I understand that you're actually originally from uh, the Chicago area, correct?
1: Yeah, I was born in Chicago, Illinois, and we moved out to Newport Beach, California, when I was four years old. So that's where all the surfing comes from. I've, I've been surfing since I was 10 years old.
0: I see. So you got into it pretty young. As soon as you saw that water, you you wanted to get uh, in that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, we lived right near the beach. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, I was uh, pretty fortunate in that. We, you know, we were upper middle class, and you know, we lived in a nice house with swimming pool and then right near the beach. and I, So I could walk to the beach with my surfboard
0: and go surfing. Very cool. Definitely convenient. Yeah. And then I understand that uh, you did serve in the Navy for about seven years, correct?
1: Yeah, I did seven uh, years, two honorable discharges, worked as a signalman, a visual communicator, kind of ironic. <laughs> I would uh, be on top of the ship, and we would uh, use Morse code with flashing light, flag hoist, and semaphore, which is uh, moving your arms in different positions to spell letters. So, yeah, it's all visual communication. I would work in the very top of the ship. We called it a God's country up there.
0: Wow, very interesting. Well, thank you for your service. Uh, thank you. Definitely. Oh, that was for... It was
1: one of the best choices I made as a youngster.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Could you elaborate just a little more on, on how that kind of shaped you and how you learned from that experience?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I finished high school, and then uh, I I was just working, you know, odd jobs and everything. And my dad uh, kind of, like, was, uh, you know, uh, prodded me to, you know, join the Navy because he served in the Navy. And so... Um, So yeah, I I made the decision and and joined the Navy when I was 20 years old, and uh, yeah, it it helped me grow and uh, helped me. uh, My job was all memorization, so that has served me well in uh, lots of vision, and then um, also, uh, you know, organizational skills. And I actually was, you know, ended up uh, in a leadership position by the time I finished, and then. I also got to travel all over the Western Pacific and see other countries so that I can be grateful that I'm uh, uh, born uh, in America, you know, and saw how other countries are and everything. So um, it made me really appreciate being a, an American. So
0: For sure. Yeah. Uh, Now, as far as sports, I know you mentioned, you know, getting into surfing very young. What other sports uh, were you involved in, uh, you know, in your youth Uh, and your younger years? Around
1: high school time, I did water ski, and uh, I actually got up on a slalom and stuff, you know, for a little while, but um, never, uh, not since then. And then, of course, I surfed all the time, and then I raced motocross, and I liked, I enjoyed playing tennis. And then my dad was a big golfer, so I would golf with him sometimes. So, but, yeah, mainly the sports were uh, surfing and motocross.
0: Gotcha. Very cool. And then I know as far as actually losing your vision, I know I've, I've you know, spoken many times on this podcast about how people come to, to blindness, to vision loss in such a variety of ways. And I'm definitely, you know, interested in, in your story, and it's it's very unique and I think very inspirational, kind of how, you know, you turn it into a positive. So let's kind of start from the beginning of, of that story. I
1: had relocated to uh, La Quinta, California from San Diego uh, to take care of a rental property of my dad's. And because I, I had a construction job here in San Diego, but um, I lost, you know, lost that job. And so my dad had me come out take care of the rental property because, and then uh, I took um, the first retail job there was a Circle K, and it was the only little store in the town. This is an unincorporated area. So, yeah, I took—I had retail experience, so I took that job in, like, March of 93. And I even got some training to be an assistant manager, and, and uh, it was July 4th, and I was filling in for Graveyard because our Graveyard guy quit, and we were waiting to train someone for Graveyard. And uh, it was around 2 a.m. in the morning, July 4th. I have a customer at the counter, and uh, I've got him rung up and everything. And all of a sudden, these gang uh, bangers, you know, gang members, uh, burst in the store. The first one put his back to the measuring tape on the corner of the door, and I was looking right at him, and he had a gun pointed right at me. He goes, what you looking at? So I looked away. And the other guy, they were screaming, you know, down on the floor to the customer, and they just—they were all, like, you know, screaming and stuff. I, uh, the, um, the guy comes to the counter, uh, and uh, they say, open the drawer. And I go to open the drawer, but I had it rung up, so it, you know, beeped, so I had to clear it and then open it. And I stepped back and put my hands up, and... The uh, guy grabbed the drawer, you know, the cast, and the drawer kind of flew out on the floor, and I kind of like watched it fall on the floor, and all of a sudden, there was a big white flash. Mm. And then, um, well, I heard the guy at the door uh, say, you got the money, you know, when the drawer flew, but then there was a big white flash, and then, I heard the customer yelling. He was shot in the leg and that, so these guys were gone. So, um, I, I realized I was shot in the head. Um, the, uh, you know, I felt blood on the side of my head and I was still standing. So and I was still conscious. So I, I leaned against the counter and sat down and it was right near the phone. And the customer came to the phone and called nine one one, you know, that I, I was just laying there and, uh, He called 911, but I never lost consciousness, and uh, you know the police came. You know, so I I thought I was going to die because I was shot in the head. But um, Mm. the bullet entered my left temple. It was a nine millimeter, and luckily it wasn't hollow point or anything like that, or else I definitely wouldn't be here. And also, being a nine millimeter, it didn't bounce around. I guess twenty twos are weak and they'll maybe you know get redirected and stuff so this just went clean clean through my head and it severed the left optic nerve and destroyed the right eye because it came out kind of like uh, in the right eye socket it missed my brain but everybody questions that (laughs) i always uh, every time I speak about it, I always throw that in to kind of loosen people up. But right. I'm really, I'm really fortunate to be alive because they meant to kill me. And uh, so, yeah, the the uh, right eye had come out uh, right away, and then I uh, had a prosthetic. And then a year later, the left eye shrunk because it, you know the upper nerve was severed. So. I have two prosthetic eyes, and I lost my smell. Also, I've never regained my smell.
0: I see. Wow. So mainly those two—losing, you know, your vision and, and your sense of smell—those were the the main effects. Yeah,
1: and yeah. So, and you know, there's no real. The only surgeries was the eye removals, the eye nucleation, and so you know, I have prosthetic eyes, and my ocularist. I think if you saw that news footage. He goes. You, you have beautiful eyes, nigga. Yeah. I told the ocularist to make them pop, but I, I was born with blue eyes. But he, they, they kind of uh, jump out, and people always comment on them. But anyway,
0: right. yeah, and just kind of the the whole theme of you know blue water and blue eyes. That's
1: yeah, pretty cool. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I had. I was born with blue eyes, but yeah, they they can do. it. I mean, they they hand paint these eyes and stuff. So, and they can make them. You know. Look your age or you know, then there's people that uh can afford to maybe get uh the, he had a customer that had a grateful dead emblem on his eyeballs. You <laughs> know, so wow. yeah, they do mm. things them. I mean I think there was a movie where the happy face eyeball or something like that. Um anyways, so yeah. Interesting. So yeah, that yeah yeah, that's uh and, you know, I have to get a new pair every five or so years because uh, the, you know, eventually bacteria gets under the acrylic. So, yeah, you get them replaced every five or so years. So.
0: Right. Oh, I see. So then, uh, you know, after this happened to you and obviously such a traumatic experience, what was kind of the, the first step, you know, once you realized that you were blind and then what did you do from there?
1: I was lucky to be alive. That's one thing. So... Fortunately, they had a braille institute in the desert area there at Rantzel Mirage. And the, the uh, counselor and the executive director came to my hospital bed and told me, you know, this is where you go, uh, you know, to when you're ready to learn to be blind. So really, you know, my thoughts were, oh, man, what's going to happen now? You know, because I had never really seen any blind people on the street. Hmm. I don't know if they any other uh, people with visual impairment, you know, when it happens to them, to realize, you know, there's a whole community of people with visual impairment. So I I just thought, oh, man, what's going to happen now And, and everything. So, but within eight weeks, I was at the Braille Institute and with a cane in my hand and went right to work to learn, you know, orientation and mobility and Braille and, you know, cooking class and everything. So workman's comp, I used the insurance and I went to another program that was a residential program. It's called the uh, Foundation for the Junior Blind in Los Angeles. And uh, that program, you stay all week long and go home on the weekends. And I did seven months there of, of all this uh, orientation and mobility and computers and, and cooking and everything. And while I was there, I was introduced to self defense for the blind. That was new. Workman's Comp gave me a you know a rehab contract, and they were going to you know teach me to be a self defense instructor for the blind, and you know certify me and hire me. And I went through that program for a year, and they just took the money and never hired me or certified me. So that's uh, I, and I was a you know, skate in the Los Angeles area and meanwhile also went to the Braille Institute in Los Angeles and took a word perfect program <laughs> that's, a, that's really old stuff but um, yep. yeah when that when they uh, you know uh, disappointed me I just went back to San Diego and then I kicked around in community college for a while but uh, you know uh, what was missing was you know sports activity you know Right, and um i uh there was a few years there that I'd made the wrong turn and made the wrong decisions of hanging around with the wrong people and you know thinking partying would make me feel better and everything, but um that ended uh, at a low point where they ended up stealing my car and leaving me stranded, so the family put me on a conservative shift, and I ended up in a living care facility. Hmm. which was, which was no fun at all. But, um, at that point, uh, you know, that I was, it was year 2000 and I was in this facility. I started going to the blind community center and I lived in that, uh, lit care facility for four years. But while I was there, I bought exercise equipment and started exercising. And then I went to the blind community center and they had, A surfing program, an annual surfing program, which was cool because, you know, uh, and then also they had a water ski program that they do once a month for the five months of summer, May through September. You uh, go in the morning and you you can either water ski, uh, inner tube ride, or a boat ride, and then they go to their club for lunch. And they've been putting on that blind program for, I don't know, something like 60 years now. But um hmm. that's where I met a gentleman, Harry Cordellis, who told me all about the United States disabled water ski nationals and uh, I, and I, you know I got up on a slalom ski and I, and the light bulb went off in my head and so I uh, through the Tory Pines Kiwanis, who took I went, I went to the ski for light program one year oh, in the no. rainbow Colorado. Where I uh, did, you know, tried snow skiing, but they uh, they referred me to the San Diego Mission Bay Aquatic Center, where I wanted to train. To my goal was to uh, qualify and compete at, you know, the United States Disabled Warski Nationals, and so it's uh, it cost money. So I went to Challenge Athletes Foundation and applied an online grant for the first two years, and got approved. Um, and then they found out I was a veteran, and when they started a veteran program called Operation Rebound, I've been with them since. So I've I've been with uh, Challenge Athletes Foundation for a, a total of 14 years now. Wow! So that's where that's where I got started in the water sports and water, you know, water skiing. And then I uh, learned to trick ski using a wakeboard, but it had to meet a Certain specific, thirty um, percent width that it is long. So a, a ski is really skinny. So that's considered a ski. So, but if you meet that thirty percent rule, you're if you're using a board, it's considered a single trick ski, and you get double points. So, so I started learning all the surface uh, surface tricks and stuff with a board, little one way jumps behind that ski boat. But I was also training at the Aquatic Center, and they had wakeboard boats. And so uh, I would, uh, you know, practice behind wakeboard boats and stuff. And so I went to six disabled water ski nationals. I've got multiple silver medals in uh, slalom skiing and trick skiing. And, uh, yeah, Illinois was my first one where I qualified. Then Indiana. uh, Then it was Sacramento. Uh, I think uh, then it was Atlanta, North Carolina, and the last one was Paducah, Kentucky, and that was um, uh, that was the year my 25th anniversary year. But um, yeah, so I, I've been to six of those. Meanwhile, they came up with the very first World Adaptive mm-hmm. Surfing Championship, and I, I uh, you know, um, requested to be included and that's where the surfing career started
0: i see that's awesome yeah and so, if, if we could just kind of go through each sport i'm curious if you could just speak about the adaptations and anything as a blind participant in these sports and and starting okay. with water skiing
1: yeah it, so as far as water skiing so uh in slalom skiing you know they have um a course and it's uh it's a course of six buoys or six balls they call them and you got to go around the balls if you're sighted yep. so what they what they what they do uh what they have for the visually impaired is they have a device called a bat blaster and it's an audio uh, uh slalom signaling device so it mounts on the uh pole the line the line pole of the boat and it Uh, you run the line through this arm that will go back and forth on it. And you set, you have two dials, one for the speed that you're traveling at and one for the line length. And so what they do is when I uh, tell them to go and hit it, I'll uh, move out to the left like I'm going to go through gates. And that's what they call the entrance to the uh, course. And what they do is they arm it. And it will beep three times, and that, that means to go for your first ball. And uh, depending on the speed you're going, uh, this this machine is timing you uh, to make all six uh, to make it beat six times. And so it, it doesn't beep uh, when you're supposed to turn. You're supposed to turn, and hopefully making it beep as you're headed to your next ball to stay ahead of the of the timing of it. So it's it's so it's based on the same principle as a sighted skier would, but that's how you compete in a, you know as a visual impaired slalom skier. And then the trick scheme, they use a whistle, and you enter the course, and they'll blow the whistle, and you got 20 seconds to do your tricks, and then they'll blow the whistle when the course when you're out of the course, so you can stop tricking. So,
0: hmm.
1: and the other the other. It, You know, other ways to communicate is uh, tugs on the line. So uh, you can use both as communicating uh, to your skier through tugs on the line or a whistle and stuff. And, you know, they use, uh, you know, one whistle means this, two whistles mean that, three whistles, you know, so you can communicate to your skier to do all these things and and safely.
0: Right. yeah, Yeah,
1: so that's how the water skiing goes and competing and I'm, there's not very many visually impaired there. There's only one woman, one woman every year, Katie Malby. She holds all the world records. And then the other, uh, there was a, a few times there was a couple other blind skiers, but mainly it's been Mike Royal and myself. And Mike Royal, is uh, he's the world record holder as a, a vision-impaired swam skier. And I, oh, wow. that's, why I, that's why I always get silvers because I I started I started all this at 50 years old so
0: right but and you know he was younger but and been doing it longer
1: but um has his own boat and stuff and he's married and his wife drives the boat for him so yeah so I I I just take classes and and, you know I'm with a group of people and we take turns and it's an hour half class so and that would be a weekly class so I'm not on the water as much as you might like to, to really, you know, hone your craft. But, uh, Swamp scheme is, uh, um, real hard work and stuff. And the trick scheme is a little easier cause you're going faster. I mean, slower. I mean, and, uh, you know, it, it it's not as uh, taxing. And then surfing is done with a sighted coach and you, uh, the, the coach is your, is your eyes verbally. Hmm. And, uh, so, uh, he's telling you uh, everything, he or she is telling you everything, you know, going on. So, uh, paddling out is the most difficult as someone that's visually impaired because you want the board straight. So when you crash through a wave paddling out, it doesn't throw the board sideways it's to, and slow your progression to get out. So, But um, I would use my hearing for that to try to square on the, the white water that's coming towards me. and then. Uh, the verbal coach. Let's say I'm getting out uh, where the it's no longer white water. and It's kind of quiet. Uh, he'll he'll take over, telling me, "Okay, come on, paddle, paddle." There's a wave coming. And then when we get out there, then uh, he'll he'll you know ask me to turn, and then he'll tell me to lie down and uh, start paddling a uh, little right, little left, and then uh, you know half speed and paddle hard, hard, hard. And then uh, he would uh, yell up when he sees the wave grabbing the board and taking it, he would yell up. And that's when I would pop to my feet and drop in the wave.
0: Wow. That's so interesting. That's
1: yeah. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I, the reason I'm the U S champ two years in a row, cause I had no one competing against me now. Uh, there's a bunch of them now. Uh, my, my coach got a younger guy, Joshua Loya. He's, he's the champ now. Um, uh, and now they're training a new guy, Mark Woodard. He's from the Blind Stoker Club. Oh yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, yeah And then some women have now. So they have now. When I started, it was the the visually impaired um, in the worlds. There was like seven of us at the first worlds, and eight of us at the second worlds. But um, they they had different types of different levels of vision and I had to compete against others that had a little bit of vision and stuff. They have now changed that, and they have um, a division of totals and a division of uh, low vision. And they also have uh, women's and and men's divisions, so Hmm. it's uh, expanded. And they're also recognized by the uh, Paralympics now, and they haven't, uh, you know, surfing was, Supposed to go this year for the first time at Tokyo, uh, and uh, we we were not accepted either in Tokyo or in Paris for para parasurfing. Oh. But um, it might happen in Los Angeles in 28. So, anyways, yeah, because they're work- They got to work through. Uh, they want equal amount male, female, and they also want something like uh, I think it's 20 uh, 22 countries involved. Parasurfing or you know uh, adaptive surfing you, is very big uh, among all kinds of disabilities. So very and, cool. So yeah, and uh, but then um, so my my favorite um, what what my favorite was you know doing the the tricks on the board, but I wanted to graduate to weight wake, boarding, where. See, the board I used had no fins, so I could do all the circus tricks, you know, spin on top of the water and everything. Right. So, wake, actual wakeboarding, you actually uh, put some fins underneath there, and you 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 start jumping, and you try to jump uh, from wake to wake. And so, um, it was so seven years ago, I started wakeboarding, and, uh, and it was a, a, you know, I had to learn how, to make the approach for jump jumps and everything. So my goal there was to uh, uh, compete in wakeboarding, and uh, and I wakeboarding is my favorite sport because hmm. it's individual. It's me at the end of the line, just like anybody else, and it's it's up to me to you know perform. So and so in 2018, I went to my first uh, wakeboard. Uh, competition, and it turned out they had never had anybody visually impaired or blind to compete in wakeboarding, and, and uh, uh, so I was the very first blind athlete ever to compete in wakeboarding. At the Western Regionals, I, you know, I was the only stand-up adaptive wakeboarder there. And then uh, I went to the nationals, and I competed against one-armed uh, riders, and was third at my first nationals. Mm-hmm. And the next year. The next year, I got sponsored by Ronix with wakeboard, uh, all new equipment and stuff. And I went to three of the four regions and was uh, the southern, western, and central region at stand-up adaptive champion. At the national, I competed against a one-leg prosthetic rider that beat me. So I got second at my second national. But then I went to the world and became the uh, world uh, stand-up adaptive champion in 2019, which was the wakeboard community is awesome. It was the most healing uh, group that I've ever been around because they really like uh, embraced me. And at the award ceremony, they give me a standing ovation. I don't know. I'm, I don't know they're doing that. I know they're yelling and their stuff. But when I sit <laughs> down with my friend, he's telling me, "Yeah, you got a standing ovation." Right. And my, my first national, three kids came up and had me autograph their wakeboards, and it was it was a very healing moment for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember one of the videos I did watch. You mentioned that about getting to autograph those boards, and that that must have just really hit you in such a positive way.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, but I told them, you know, I can't. My signature looks like crap. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but yeah, they. But uh, yeah, they're, they're, I, I still sign the boards and stuff. So, but yeah, that, the wakeboard communities really embraced me. But um, so, since the pandemic, I uh, opted out because there's traveling, hotels, you know, and I'm 64. So uh, I opted out. Um, also, I was supposed to do the uh, uh, a relay team in Ironman uh, in April. It would have been my sixth. Uh, six one um, but um, they postponed that to October, and now they've canceled it till March. Um, hmm. That's the other part of uh, my athletic uh, endeavors is in 2010, I decided to do the first San Diego Triathlon challenge to raise money for uh, CAF to give back, you know and, and yeah. so I am the CAF to support me. And so that's where I started the endurance stuff, the triathlon and stuff. And so I did five of those uh, San Diego Triathlon challenges. And, you know, that's where I swim. And I'm tethered to somebody swimming. We're on a tandem bike for the biking, And then uh, tethered for the run. And I did five of those. And then I did a full Ironman at, in Arizona across the finish line at 59 years old. I uh, I've been to five uh, Ironman Seventies Oceanside. I've done two full seventy milers, and then three of them I was part of a relay team. Two of them biking, and one of them just running the half marathon. Um, wow. And that's how I that's how I fundraise and give back to Operation Rebound and CAF uh, because they they they've been uh, behind me all the way. When you fill out your application you have to have a mantra in mind is never lose sight of your goals and dreams. So I kept on setting new goals and uh, achieving dreams that I never even thought I you know, I didn't even have in my dream bucket. Like for example, one the guy that I met through the Blind Stoker Club, Brian McGoldrick, he wanted to he he wanted to do the Iron Man and I go not in my not in my bucket list <laughs> And <laughs> But I ended up, I ended up training and doing it with him, and it was awesome. I did, a, I did a full Ironman in 16 hours and 12 minutes at 59 years old. So
0: mm-hmm. that's that's incredible, really.
1: Yeah, it was it was a really great feeling at the end. i it's awesome at the end. Everybody stays till the last runners come in, and and I we're coming down the chute and stuff, and it's really loud, and they're all yelling, and I I turn to Brian, and I go. They all waited for me, you know. <laughs> they do it for everybody, you know, and stuff. Right. He, he was laughing at me and stuff, but uh, yeah. We finished that. We finished at eleven o'clock at
0: night. so. Mm. Wow. But, uh, now, now, do you have yeah. the same? Do you use the same guide for all three events in the Ironman? The the triathlon? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah.
1: I you're, see. You're te- you're teamed up with that person.
0: Wow. So you really with do any, get to with any?
1: Yeah. With any Ironman or triathlon? Yeah
0: interesting wow so you yeah, really get to know team. that person pretty well obviously
1: <laughs> yeah and they and they get to know me pretty well and you know see me at my worst <laughs> <laughs> Brian McGolder can tell you stories
0: <laughs> hey I or just hey, uh, might have to anyway, have him the on one, this I podcast he did all the Ironman
1: he, he he did all the Iron Man. I did all the Iron Man with him and you know and and uh, rode uh, a lot you know uh, the last like I think it's four years now or five years on in the blind stoker club but uh you know i started out i had a few different captains in the blind stoker club and different captains that took me through the san diego triathlon challenge too so Hmm.
0: yeah yeah, so i'm curious with the triathlon which uh, which of the three you know events the swimming the the cycling or the running do you think is the most challenging running i hate it really (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because it, it's so taxing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, I mean, I,
1: I'm a real good swimmer, and the biking I got really good at. Um, I'm strong in both of those, but I I can't run worth anything. Right. And, it, and uh, it, you know, and at my age, it kind of, the last time I I did it, I did the half uh, marathon at, at the Ironman 70.3 Oceanside. And, uh... My my left hip was sore for like six months.
0: Oh jeez. Wow. <laughs>
1: yeah. So running is not in my forte anymore. i right. swimming and biking.
0: For sure. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. thanks to the so being a um being with Challenge Athletes Foundation, they they their their athletes get a free membership a lifetime membership to Y M C A. And so that's where I would train on the running, I'd get on the treadmill and run. That's where I'd train for running. I see you know, yeah, so, you know so you because know, 'cause I'm not you know your 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 guide or whatever isn't always available, but we would get together once in a while and then run and practice together, but um, a lot of the training was done on a treadmill there at the y
0: right, interesting.
1: My thing is that is, uh, physical fitness is the best medicine in the world. So I have workout equipment in my living room. There's no place for anybody to sit, except if you want to sit on the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I've got my cardio. i got twin aerodynes. i got two of them in case one breaks. And I always have to get them all fixed up and then, I, you know, wear them out. And then uh, I've got a weightlifting set that, uh, you know, like a universal weightlifting set so I can do all the uh, any kind of, uh, weight lifting
0: exercise I need to do. I see. And as, as far as, you know, equipment, any electronic equipment you have, treadmills, whatnot, how do you make that accessible? Do you use any kind of braille labeling or? So the, uh,
1: they would help me at the Y. They would get it going and yep. set up. But they wouldn't, like, when I got, would get done, they aren't always there to see the mileage. But then when, uh, when I got my watch, uh, Apple, um, uh, my first Apple Watch, then I was able to see uh, what kind of calories I'd burned and how far I ran and everything.
0: So, yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, I was really fortunate in the Apple did, uh, uh, gave me the iPhone 8 and the Apple Watch 3 one year to do a story about accessibility with the uh, iPhone and the Apple Watch and everything. And uh, the story didn't end up being uh, put out, so... The following year, uh, they came back and they had a whole crew from Apple that uh, did, did a story, and then they put it up in their newsroom. And they gave, that's when I gave me the Apple Watch 4 and the iPhone 10R. And then I actually got the uh, honor of speaking uh, at Apple headquarters last May, hmm. 2019. Uh, 2019, with three other disabled athletes from CAF and we spoke to all of the employees there on uh, global awareness day
0: very cool that's awesome yeah and so, we definitely are lucky to it, have these devices these days you know with the with speech and it's it's really amazing
1: the other thing is i'm so uh, fortunate that i served uh you know the, the military because i the va has uh, what they call the blind rehab center and i went to the first one in palo alto And then I've been continuing. I continued with the Blind Rehab Center in Long Beach, Um, so they've been uh, they've been giving me all my uh, you know uh, electronic equipment. You name it, they have it. And uh, and you go there and you you're a resident there and you learn your new equipment. But um, this year, because of the pandemic, um, my last desktop was four years old and it had Windows Seven, and that was. uh, no longer supported so
0: hmm.
1: um they uh they sent me a new laptop so i've been working on it with, since it last week um they sent me a laptop and it's got you know a windows 10 and and uh, jaws 2020 and so yeah i'm i'm learning my laptop learning where the keys are and, and uh and learning to use a laptop now
0: right yeah. that's great that the va provides that that type of support
1: in the news, you've heard bad things about the VA. I've had nothing but a good experience with the VA. They even, got, they even helped me buy my tandem bike. Oh, wow. I've been really fortunate. And, got yeah, you know, I was lucky to survive that shooting. And then uh, along the way, I've just gotten the right, you know, I, the people were at my hospital bed, so I went right to work and learned. You know, blind skills. That and that's where you know you go to these um, schools and you find out there's a whole community of people with visual impairment. You know, so you don't feel so alone.
0: Exactly, okay. just that relatability. Yep. Yeah, and then my last, my last thing in my rehabilitation,
1: I waited to get a dog until uh, I had like gotten pretty stationary with everything. And so it was the first three years I didn't. Uh, I waited three years to get my first dog. And now I've had three of them from C&I. So,
0: very nice uh, yeah. I guess it is Snickers that you currently have
1: yeah my chocolate lab he's awesome very but cool he's getting he's getting close to retirement age he's 10 years old now but I have that Facebook page called never lose sight because my mantra never lose sight your goals and dreams and in the in the uh, about section I think I've listed a lot of resources that I've used over the years and I think there's links to them too so if uh, anybody went to my page, that net or the site page, they might look at those resources and stuff that they are wondering. But um, fortunately for me, I didn't have to go through denial. I was blinded instantly. But yeah, the journey is different for for everybody. You know, there's denial or, uh, you know, and then, you know, anger and, 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 and then, you know, um, sadness, you know. So my main thing is... Uh, when things got difficult, I my anger would pop up because there was no reason for these guys to shoot me. I cooperated and everything, and it was
0: ridiculous, you know. So, oh, yeah. But um, uh, but uh, the sports
1: and the physical fitness uh, is the medication that kind of helped that, you know.
0: No doubt. You know? Yeah, and that's the big goal of this podcast, then, just to show how sport can really change lives in so many ways
1: yeah because you meet you meet really great people in sports so yeah sure. good quality people in sports you know like uh, the blind stoker club you know i joined them in 2010 and uh so yeah so i've been really fortunate you know because i'm here in san diego we have the blind community center we have the blind stoker club and uh we have the you know we had the annual surfing program and the water ski program every year, so I've been really fortunate, and uh, so I've uh, taken uh, you know advantage of those opportunities and resources.
0: Exactly, very well said. And I can certainly include a link to your Facebook page in the show notes for this episode, so people can find that as
1: well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a good long list of resources on there that have links and stuff. I don't know if there's, I mean. Uh, I haven't updated it or anything uh, recently, but sometimes those links kind of disappear or something somehow.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes but, it gets a little confusing. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, that
1: um, yeah, this, the about section kind of uh, um, kind of uh, is a shorter version of my story, and and then all the videos and uh, everything that I've done is up there and stuff. So uh, and it's I I. Uh, made the page so i can fundraise
0: through it so right very nice all right well again we've been speaking with scott Leeson, uh multiple time uh, champion and, and participant in a variety of sports and i just want to say scott thank you so much for your time and for your positive message and everything that you do and thanks so much for joining us here on ice free sports
1: you're quite welcome and thank you for your interest um you know i really i really appreciate people um I'm inspirational and all that. I appreciate that and everything. But really, uh, you know, if I didn't have all these sports and stuff, uh, I don't know where I'd be in physical fitness. So it's it's um, it's been a big part of my life, of uh, kind of like offsetting, you know, uh, other things that you know I I still I still miss eye eye contact. I I still miss seeing my kids grown as adults and. What my grandkids look like, and the biggest and the something small, but I miss billiards. I can I tried hmm. playing pool, it doesn't work. So,
0: <laughs> right, you know,
1: when, you know, when you hang out with the guys and play, you know, you know, play pool and stuff, but um, yeah, so there's things I miss, but I replaced them with the sports and uh, working out, and of course, you know, my dogs have been great companions, so that's how it kind of offset the whole set, the whole um. The whole business of how I
0: was finding exactly just finding those outlets for to get the adrenaline going to get the the positive momentum going so that's that's a great example
1: and yeah to get you out of the house and then you know and you know because I you know grew up turkey so water's been a big part of my life and uh, yeah in the navy so ships uh, you know water a big part of my life so but anyways. But I appreciate the interest, and I hope to meet you someday if you come up uh, to, uh, you know, ride with us at the Blind Stoker Club. I know, this year they they had cycling for sight uh, online, so,
0: but anyways, yeah. Absolutely. Would love to meet you guys. It's been a great uh, opportunity to connect with you, and kind of a positive result of this pandemic has been Zoom and, and kind of the online experiences, so...
1: I just feel fortunate that I accomplished a lot before the pandemic. Cause I feel like the pandemic is telling me it's time for retirement, but hopefully not. I'll keep, I'll keep working out in shape and hope, hopefully next year at 65, I can still go out there and be the old man.
0: Oh yeah. I think you got at least a few more years in the tank. Yep. Yeah, I hope so.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, great uh, meeting you, Greg. And, uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. And, um, uh, uh, I uh, hope uh, that uh, some people, you know, uh, get some get a positive message from this, and maybe we'll get some surfers, uh, wakeboarders, and water skiers going.
0: <laughs> Definitely, absolutely, let's get people up and you know out of the house and out there on the water. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebookcom Sports and on Twitter at Eyes Free Sports.